Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 35. And this is probably going to be the most painful episode that Sam and I have recorded in our young days as podcasters here almost a year in, but um, we have a lot of thoughts to share tonight, I think. And let's just, before we dive in any deeper into this, Sam, we're recording this in an afternoon. So neither of us are drinking super hardcore. And I think that's to keep both of us a little bit more rational. Obviously, we're recording this a couple of days after the game, too, just to be a little bit more rational. We've all, I think we've processed this a little bit. Um, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> oh, key, key, key words there, a little bit. But Sam, outside of the game, how are you, sir? And what are you sipping on tonight? And uh, yeah, what's, what's your flavor of choice to treat, treat this injured, injured fan? Yeah, well... Husky football is pretty much my life. Everybody knows that. So uh, it's not good. Not feeling great. Yeah. And I felt, you know, after Montana's ass whooping on the Huskies that it would only be fitting for me to drink the unofficial official beer of Montana. So I'm sipping on some Montucky. And it's the first time in my life Montucky has not really tasted that great. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What are you sipping on? Yeah, I, I wish I would have been a little bit more clever with my drink choice. I just honestly grabbed the first thing out of my fridge because I was like, whatever's going to get me buzzed but not too hammered. And I ended up with a Kona spiked island, island seltzer, uh, passion orange fruit. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Passion fruit, orange guava. So it's a pog seltzer. Wow. It's a little fruity, I know, but... I think this is what the Huskies deserve right now is me drinking fruity drinks. I do have a cruise light to back it up, but typically this is where I'd make fun of you, but I just have too much empathy for what fellow Husky fans are going through. So I just can't kick a dog while they're down. Yeah. It's, um, it was a rough one. It was a rough one to put it lightly. So Sam, I know we're trying to organize our thoughts here. We don't have a lot of notes on this one. We're just kind of free flowing. I think on, on this episode, you were able to watch the sit down and actually watch the full game. I was unfortunately camping during the game. So I was following along on my phone, um, but I didn't actually get to watch it live. I've since obviously watched uh, replayed highlights, kind of like a slimmed down 30 minute version of the game. So I got a general sense for how the game went, but since you actually got to sit down with your dad and watch it, what were your general takeaways and like, obviously like what, what's going on with Husky football right now? Like, do we have a culture problem here? I mean, yeah, we have to, I don't know. I mean, this has to be the worst loss that Husky stadium has ever witnessed in its glorious hundred year history. I mean, there's no, I don't think that there's anything like this. And there isn't. So it's, it's a bad place to be right now for the Husky football program. And there's really no excuses for it. And there's not really any one thing that you can point the blame to, which doesn't make anyone feel any better when it just feels like 
players didn't play well, coaches didn't coach well. And it's it's not not good. It's a bad image for the brand, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck convincing high school students that you're, you know, a serious contending program after you lost to Montana. Obviously, we have a lot of season left to play, so you can still get back some of that that you lost on Saturday, but overall, I mean, this this doesn't happen unless there's serious problems internally to the Husky program. And so I think we can kind of speculate on what those might be. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, but you don't lose to Montana. And again, like Montana is a good FCS team, but my Lord, you don't lose to them. Mm-mm. Not on your home field too. Like, that's... Yeah. I mean, nice payday for Montana. We paid him $700,000 to come kick our ass. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's definitely problems internally, and I'm just curious to get your thoughts on on where your headspace goes in terms of what might be the case. Yeah, I'm just – I'm trying to think back to, like, early to mid-2000s when shit started going downhill and obviously the ultimatum of that whole situation was the 0 and 12 season in 2008 and where that ranks and compared to like this and given the talent level on this team this is way more embarrassing to me like at this point um i don't know i mean that might be mm, yeah it's a stretch i wouldn't go there Owen 12 is really bad. (laughs) I will say this really, really bad. The way that I felt after this game against Montana last Saturday was the exact same feeling that I felt week in and week out during that 2008 season. Mm -hmm. And I pray to the Lord that I don't feel that way 11 more times this season. Cause yeah, that I'm was really hope- the deep dark days. I don't want to go back there and no. a little PTSD crept up on me Saturday night and Sunday. I'm starting to work myself out of it now, but it, to your point, there was some familiarity with how it felt, mm-hmm. but I don't think on the scale of total disaster that we're quite there yet, but it is like, sure. It potentially has the, the potential the for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, it's just it this blindsided me so much, like the way that they perform. I mean, all this hype coming into this season. Jimmy was trying to get this train rolling, and I thought so we were gonna talent. go 12 Every, and 0, man. Like, everyone com- everyone coming back from last year and like you know, chip on the shoulder mentality, unfinished business, like all this shit. And that's the performance that they lay out there on Saturday. The 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 thing that I couldn't get out of my mind was the lack of energy on our sideline throughout the entire game. And that's what I was like that I was collecting that. I don't know if you noticed it, like watching the game live, but whenever I was following Twitter, a bunch of the media members were like, Oh, like, especially going from the third quarter to the fourth quarter, like Montana was all huddled up, I guess all their guys were hooting and hollering, like getting ready for the fourth quarter. And all our guys were just dispersed out, not even really talking to each other, disengaged from the game. I mean, I don't know how you let that happen if you're Jimmy Lake. Like, th- it it obviously starts with him. Blame is all around, obviously. Yeah. Blame is all around. 
but it starts with him and the culture that he's building at, at Washington. And I think I texted you on Saturday night that after that loss, I can't, I can't take a grain of what Jimmy Lake says as truth anymore. Like you need to practice what you preach with this whole aggressive mentality. I mean, our players look soft as fuck on Saturday throughout the entire game. And it all started up front with the offensive and defensive lines. I know that you have some feelings about that and where blame goes as far as players executing and stuff. And we'll deep dive into that in a little bit here, but suffice to say, we did not bring physicality. We did not bring energy. These are two things that Jimmy talks about all the time. And how do your players not show that? Like what, where is that disconnect? Where is the miscommunication there? And I go back to me telling you like Jimmy, Jimmy's got a little bit of a used car salesman vibe to him and he's trying to sell you a lot, but is, is it a lemon? Like, is the car actually a lemon? Like, is that what we're actually driving now? Is that what you're walking off the lot now as a, as a, is a shitty car? Well, I'll tell you what, if he's a used car salesman, I for sure got a lemon because my prediction was 12 and 0 this season. And <laughs> my car, even though I was 11 out. and one, I was 11 and one. Justin was 11 and one too. This is not the way we saw this going, obviously. I mean, that's no one saw this coming. Maybe besides the guys in Montana's locker room. Maybe, maybe Bobby Howe thought that they had a chance and obviously did. I mean, I mean, yeah, but, you go into every game thinking you have a chance, but I think they all knew that like, the odds were stacked heavily against them coming into it until they started playing and you let them hang around like that. And then all of a sudden it is like an energy shift where mm -hmm. that Montana team's fucking pumped to be four points in the, you know, four points behind in the third quarter. Going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going back to your question, watching it live, one of the things I did think about was, you know, the camera panned to Jimmy Lake in the third and fourth quarter a couple of times, and he was just standing there, arms crossed. Yep. And I wasn't upset in the moment, but I definitely had the thoughts of like, okay, I know head coaches like have different personalities. Like Peterson was never one. Like this is if, if this were to happen to Peterson, like he would have just been standing there, sure, trying to be calm, like keep things together. That's his personality. But to your point, this isn't Jimmy's personality. Like he no. is confident, he's cocky, he's aggressive. And I think when we got knocked on our ass, all of that talk, all of that hype played against us in this game where it's like, oh my gosh, this is happening to, happening to us. Like what's, it leads to a freak out. And mm -hmm. I think like we definitely got caught looking. We played like that. Yeah. And I think that that resonates through the head coach and the coaching staff. And I think we got caught looking a week ahead, putting in game plans for Michigan. And we'll, you know, barely touch on a Michigan preview at the end. But I think this team and the coaching staff was looking past Montana from the get-go. And that's a terrible mistake. That's a rookie mistake. Mm -hmm. I mean, we even said in our predictions episode, not obviously predicting the outcome, but we did say like, you can't just like look past Montana. Like they're a solid football program. I'm not going to go as far as saying like the things that, I mean, Jimmy had a lot of praise for them <laughs> and I think he, he focused too, too much on that and not enough on the yeah. fact of, of like taking accountability, at least in the post game presser, he did a little bit better. I think in today's presser, 
the Monday presser, but um, suffice to say that it, this was a failure from top to bottom. And it's a real come to Jesus moment, I think, for not only the whole Husky football program, but us as fans. Like, what is what is next? Like, what is two Saturdays going to look like from now at Husky Stadium against Arkansas State? It's going to be I mean, empty. If, I mean, especially if they lose against Michigan and it goes the way that now I think we're thinking it's going to go. It'll be are empty. They even get, are they even going to get like 15,000 fans there? Probably, but it'll be under 30 for sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, you know, I think taking the more like macro conversation about what this loss means for the program, like this is the kind of loss that, coaches get fired over and obviously the the twitter army was out for blood saturday yesterday Mm -hmm. and some of them got their pitchforks sharpened up for round two this week but where does your head go in terms of what this loss means and i guess like you can speculate based on the performance that we saw this past weekend and you know speculating and dragging that performance forward throughout the season what is what are some of the long-term impacts in terms of people's jobs or kids transferring in or out or recruits wanting to come here like what is the long-term impact of this one game potentially it's really hard to fire coaches in the middle of seasons especially after one game um if it were to happen, it would, and it would have already happened, but Jen Cohen's not going to make that call right now. Um, I think you got to see how this group responds and sees, see if they, if they take it as motivation for the rest of the year or not. Obviously, this is a terrible look. If anyone would get fired, I think, from this game, it would be the offensive coordinator, John Donovan. Mm-hmm. He would be on the thinnest of ice because he's putting Jimmy's job on the line with his performance on Saturday yeah. and he was for sure of the coaching staff. Like he was for sure the most to Ooh. blame probably from a game planning standpoint, I would say um, from an energy and like, like setting the setting the, uh, the table for, for that side of things that's on Jimmy, obviously. Right. That, that's where, that's where it starts for them. I don't, did you notice like any of the position coaches, like how engaged they were with, with guys on the sidelines, if they were showing any of that on the broadcast, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I, I know that we have some, some personnel things to update on with like injuries and stuff like that too. Like we're, we're pretty thin in a couple position groups now with some last minute injuries, which I guess before I, I'm going to complete, here's, here's my organized thoughts right now. I'm going to completely tangent real quick. Obviously we have some injuries right now. With this is one of the main drawbacks of Jimmy Lake versus Chris Peterson and their practice styles is Jimmy is all about competition and wants to uh, wants to do a bunch of scrimmaging just so guys can get as many like kind of like live style reps. With that, obviously, comes more risk of injury. We've had some very late injuries here, like up until like basically this last week. And it put one of our position groups at super thin. Like, do you, which side of the coin are you on for, for like practices and stuff like that? Do you, do you like the scrimmage 
scrimmage style practices that Jimmy preaches, or are you more in Chris Peterson's camp that like you want to keep things as kind of safe as possible and like obviously get things kind of up up tempo to like game tempo, but not a lot of physical contact during during practices. Yeah, I'm definitely more in the Peterson camp. And I think just look to the pros, like how do they practice? Yep. They're not going live bullets. And now I think live tackling and scrimmaging is an important component to fall camp and spring ball, but it's a very minuscule element that is Mm -hmm. a rare thing that happens in your camp programming. I think, you know, I'm a big fan of thud tempo. So you're still getting yourself in position and wrapping up, making the thud tackle, and you're not taking people down to the ground. You're not flying in off the edge and rolling up on linemen, that kind of stuff. Like stay, everyone stays upright Mm -hmm. and you can still have a very aggressive and physical high tempo practice without taking guys to the ground. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's how I think and feel. And, you know, in some, in some regards, I think it's a learning experience for Jimmy Lake and trying to figure out where that fine line is. Like I, I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't, his, in theory, he's not wrong. I mean, the more live bullet reps guys can get, the more ready they will be to play when those live bullets come at them on Saturday nights. That's for sure. True. Mm-hmm but I think he's learning the hard way what the trade-offs might be for that and trying to find a balance for him and his coaching style moving forward. I think you'd expect to see some changes next off season for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a fair, that's but a fair I guess take if, we're, and... if we're going into that, we should sure. probably talk a little bit more specifically about those injuries. Yep. yep. Um, before the game, it was announced that, our starting wide receiving core was going to be a lot different than the depth chart looked (laughs) Um, to be, to put it lightly. Uh, So we were expecting it to be uh, Terrell Bynum, uh, Roman Dunze and Jalen Polk to start the game. And the backups were going to be what Giles Jackson, Taj Davis and Jalen McMillan, but we knew he wasn't actually healthy. So you, you throw Sawyer Rocinelli in there, I guess, in his place. And it turns out that Bynum and uh, Odunze suffered injuries at practice. And they were, they're both week to week is what we've heard. So we don't know. They're definitely not season-ending injuries that they've suffered. Um, but nonetheless, that left, left you at a pretty distinct disadvantage in the wide receiver core to start the game. And then first play of the game, what happened, Sam? Jalen Polk got the first pass. It was a nice slant route for 10, 11, 12 yards, and he kind of got sandwiched between two guys. was a little bit slow to get up, but he did finish the drive. That's crazy. Which is wild, knowing what we know now, is after Mm -hmm. that drive completed, he went and saw trainers. They took him off the field, and we found out earlier this morning in Jimmy Lake's Monday press conference that Jalen Polk, suffered some sort of chest injury on that first play where he caught the ball and got tackled between two guys. And it actually required emergency surgery at the hospital. I guess he's out of the hospital and doing well now, but he's going to be out for the season, maybe it back in time for postseason if that even happens for the Huskies this year. Mm-hmm. So now he's out and 
Jalen McMillan is out for a number of probably a couple more weeks at least with his hand surgery he had. And then we don't really know what happened with Terrell Bynum or Romo Dunze, but I've heard through the rumor mill that Odunze's injury isn't anything to scoff at and that that is a little bit more long-term than what we're being led to believe. Mm -hmm. So you really are looking at a receiver room for the next couple of weeks being Giles Jackson, Taj Davis, Sawyer Rocanelli, and then the true freshman Jabez Tenai is burning his red shirt because you only yep. have those four scholarship wide receivers left on your roster and then it's all walk-ons. And I think to add, you know, add to the terrible situation in that room is you look at the off season and you lose Puka Nakua, Ty Jones and Jordan Chin to the transfer portal. So if you look at last year's wide receiver room of the team of those guys in the room that were eligible to be wearing purple and gold this year, going into Michigan this week, you will not have Puka Nakua, Ty Jones, Jordan Chin all played and had catches last year. No Terrell Bynum likely. We don't know. Maybe, that one, but yeah, but it doesn't seem likely at this point. Mm -hmm. No Romo Dunze. Again, we don't know, but the rumor mill, I'd be surprised. That if one plays. seems more unlikely. Yeah. And no Jalen Polk. So you're down your top six receivers from last year's team. That's a, that's a problem. Well, and to take it even further is like, this is the biggest difference between college football and the NFL. You can't just go to the waiver wire and pick, pick a new body up. These are the guys on your team. Like you have a depth, like you, you start with the depth that you have at the beginning of the year and guys are ticked off. That's like why, that's why you have such big rosters for college football because injuries happen obviously at these position groups. And then you're left thin. Like we are right now at wide receiver and we already had this happen to the inside linebacker room. And yeah. fortunately it doesn't sound like any injuries came out of the inside linebacker room on Saturday. So we got, one game down obviously it was a shitty game but you got one game down without further um delving into that depth chart at that position so it's not it's not a great situation at both of those position groups and we're talking about at receiver specifically some of the defensive backs that have receiver uh experience like in in high school or in the case of alex cooks came into uw as a receiver those guys are going to be getting some snaps at receiver now. Like they're like, I think Alex cook is probably mainly going to be mostly a receiver the rest of this year, yeah. at least until on and Bynum are back or at least McMillan. Like, yeah. And yeah, McMillan maybe in, in a few more weeks. So yeah. Alex cook is bad. for sure making the switch. Yeah. You have to, at this point, he's not, you know, I mean, we're loaded on the back end. He's not a, He's a he's a good DB, but he's not someone we that we're counting on. We don't there. need him there. Yeah. Like we need someone with some sort of wide receiver skill set. And so I would be shocked if they don't make that happen this week. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at the list of our other DBs, and honestly, nobody. I mean, Alex Cook is the obvious one. You're not going to move Gordon. You're not going to move McDuffie. You're not going to move the safeties. I don't think. I don't know what it's going to be like. It'd be like Elijah Jackson. That's kind of like my some... only other person that I really think of is like. 
there was another name on the list too. I couldn't remember who it was, but it was like another freshman. Or yeah, I don't know. Retro freshman. Yeah, I don't know, like uh, Zachary Spears or Jacoby Covington. No, I just it was, don't remember uh, them playing wide receiver that much. I don't think I know, it was Powell. I don't think it was Powell either. Can't I know. I know our incoming true freshman Devin Banks is a hell of a oh, receiver in high school, yeah. but I know that he's been kind of injured the beginning part of this year. Like that would be, those would be my two that I would move, but I don't know what sure. Banks' injury situation is. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, so it's, a shitty, say, it's, a sh- it's a shitty, it's a shitty situation at receiver right now, and they're about to get pretty desperate, yeah. at least for the next you know several weeks. Um, until some of these some of these guys start coming back from injuries, let's let's uh, change course here a little bit and let's go ahead and deep dive into this game a little bit. Um, what happened? <laughs> like, like what 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 happened on on Saturday? And I know that you 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 made a lot of notes here, Sam, and I think you've rewatched the game. Bless your heart for watching the game more than <laughs> once because I can't do that shit. Like. When we lose, it's it's hard enough for me to even watch like highlights. I I, I sat myself down because I didn't actually watch the game to actually watch extended highlights, just so I knew for the most part at least what the the biggest drives were and the biggest games and kind of biggest plays and some of the like game changing parts of the game. But my God, dude, like I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you sat down and watched that thing more than you watch it what two three times now. Yeah, I've watched it probably three times. Oh my god! Anyway, share share with our listeners what you observed through watching this monstrosity yeah. of of shit uh, on Saturday. Yeah, than, like, I don't know. Maybe it's twice. just like I've developed such thick skin because you know, you growing have. grow we grew up in a pretty shitty era of husky sure. football with Gilby and he who shall not be named. <laughs> so I've got some thick skin and there's just part of me like this loss was so shocking that I just, I needed to see with my own eyes in a very like analytical way, what went wrong. Sure. And I mean, we've touched on some, it's of your way of processing, I guess that, that makes it's, sense. Yeah. It's my grieving process, man. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but yeah, like there's obviously the high level topics here for sure. Like our energy on the offensive side of the ball was never really there outside of, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw two players that were aggressive the entire game. Richard Newton ran with his typical physical aggressive style. And then Giles Jackson really impressed me with how, how much effort he put into run blocking and he played, you know, put his body out on the line multiple times. I mean, Dylan Morris left him out to hang once and he just, sent his body into orbit and went up for it and got, you know, paid the price. And he really, like I said, attacked the run blocking in a way that none of our other receivers did. So I'll call them out as like the only two people on the offensive side of the ball that I saw play with any sort of edge and aggression. Um, Defensively, I thought energy wise, we were fine, like more of the same there. So, you know, going back to your original thought around, culture issues and and energy issues in general like I don't see a ton of that on the defensive side but our offense they don't look like they outside of that opening drive where the plays were scripted and Mm -hmm. everything went the way that we anticipated 
beyond that, it didn't look like we had a plan. It didn't look like our players wanted to win the game or playing hard. I know that they want to win the game. I don't question their desire to win, but with how their the energy that they carry themselves with translates to their individual performance left a lot to be desired across the board on the offensive side of the ball. I think play calling wise, again, defense is not an issue. Gregory called a really solid game, conservative game plan and, you know, let your talent and size dominate the game, which defensively we did. I mean, there's a couple things that we obviously would want back a couple of missed tackles a couple of times our D line got pushed around or slanted the wrong way, but from a play calling perspective, Gregory did a good job. He had a couple of really standout calls on some aggressive DB blitzes that paid off on tackle for losses in key areas. So I thought he called a good game. Donovan didn't call a good game. I don't think it was as atrocious as it looked on the first view. There's a lot of player execution issues that took place that made him look like he was calling plays a certain way when in reality your quarterback isn't running the right play and making the right read and making the right throw. Um, so I think there's a lot of that that went on, but I'm still not, I mean, people are calling for Donovan to be fired and I think we can have that conversation later in the podcast. I, it wouldn't bother me if he was, but he was far from the reason why we lost. So, I mean, just starting off, like, I don't know, where do you want to start on the offense? Like skill players line. Yeah. Let's start with the skill players. Cause I think that's probably the most laissez faire. Yeah. So I'll save, I'll save Dylan Morris for last in the skill positions, but I yeah. thought Richard Newton played a really good game. I know he only averaged 3.6 yards per carry. There were definitely some blocking issues on a handful of his runs, but I thought he ran the ball well. He caught the ball well. Again, Dylan Morris left him out to dry a couple of times, and he made difficult catches while he was getting blown up. And I was really impressed with his pass blocking. He stood up and picked up the blitz in a really physical, violent way, which was nice to see because that's something that he struggled with in the past. But I thought Newton played a good game. Cam Davis, the other, the only other running back. So that's kind of a bit of a surprise. We didn't see Sean McGrew, Kamari Pleasant, Javion Sunday. None of them played. Um, I saw Pleasant got some run on special teams, coverage units, but none in the backfield. Cam Davis played like total ass. I mean, he had happy feet in the backfield. He wasn't committing to the whole, committing to his blocking scheme and, and going where the play is designed. Um, he got worked over and pass protection a couple of times, just all around, not a good game for him. He had one positive play I saw where he took a short pass and made a line, juke the linebacker and picked up a first down. But outside of him, I mean, there was nobody else saw the ball. So I think that's, Newton looked good. I think that's why you saw him dominate the carries. Mm -hmm. Again, going to the receivers, like we talked about, we were down quite a few of our, projected starters and, and game breaking type receivers there. Um, Jalen Polk, he had the one catch looked nice. Hopefully he continues to progress with his rehab and he stays healthy. Cause I thought that he could have had a, a good game. Taj Davis had a really rough day. 
really rough day. And he made a couple of catches, had a handful of drops, but really what I am harping on, on him is zero willingness to even touch a defender during the runs. I mean, watching him try to run block is just a all out blatant lack of effort and desire to help your team win the game. And it was sad. So he needs to get that shit fixed or I'd rather see a walk on that's going to try hard because that was embarrassing. And then, like I mentioned before, Giles Jackson, I thought brought the energy, brought the physicality, even though he's a smaller receiver, I liked what I saw out of him. Obviously, he scores a double negative play on our fourth and two pass across the middle. He drops what was one of Morris's better passes of the day and basically loses us the chance of going and tying the game or winning the game. So he was not scot-free, but he looked good on a couple of those bubble screens and jet, uh, uh, jet sweeps. So I liked what I saw out of him. And then the only other receiver that I saw really get any action was Sawyer Rocanelli, and he didn't do much of anything really. Um, and then yeah, I guess I'll throw, I'll throw the tight ends in here as well while we're at it. I thought Kate Otten played a really good game. He was he, solid. He blocked super well. He made all the catches that were, you know, a catchable ball thrown to him. And he was covered, blanketed all game. And then a couple other tight ends. Devin Culp, I thought, had a really solid game. He blocked well. But I was really surprised to see what he was able to do in the passing game that isn't going to show up on the box score because your quarterback missed him multiple times, burning by linebackers and DBs deep down the middle of the field, like total burning it down the seam and running away from guys. And we just couldn't connect. Didn't see him, didn't pull the trigger, whatever it was. But I I think he did what he could to help the game and he can't throw the ball for himself. And then Jack Westover and Mark Redmond both played sparingly. Um, neither of them had any like major fails or major positive impacts on the game. So not much to write home in their regard. And then that brings us to the quarterback, Dylan Morris. And again, I'll preface this by saying, I don't want to point the blame at any one person, not one coach, not one player, but from a neutral analysis of the game he played the worst out of everyone on our team i mean it was the worst quarterback performance i've seen since ronnie fouch took over for jake locker in 2008 it was and we so know what bad. happened that year and it was bad because for a number of reasons one he was uncharacteristically inaccurate mm-hmm. i mean generally he's been pretty accurate in the short to intermediate game but he was behind his receivers all game And he made a couple of wrong reads on RPOs where he would, you know, stick with the run side of the play into the heavy side of the defense when the pass option is to the wide side of the field. And we have numbers like one that stands out was we had a jet sweep play action and it was an RPO. He hands it off, but if he just fakes the handoff, turns around and hits Giles Jackson out in the flat, you have Devin Culp and Kate Otten locking up the only two defenders within like 50 yard radius. That's a touchdown missed. 
He missed multiple deep balls. He'd never pushed it down the field once. I think the longest pass attempt he had was to Giles Jackson down the sideline for like a 20, 25 yard back shoulder. It was underthrown, bad pass. I mean, I don't even know what else I need to go on here, but like forcing passes, I think some of the comments I've heard after the game, whether it was with people that I've talked to or reading on Twitter, you know, oh, our offensive line didn't, couldn't keep him upright, couldn't protect him. Like there's some truth to that, that we, we gave up three sacks. No QB hurries were registered in the stat book. And after watching it multiple times, I can see why fans would feel like he was under duress the whole game. But when you look at it with a cynical eye, he's just got happy feet back there and he's not being patient, letting plays, deeper balls develop. And he's trying to force fit it into a running back to a tight end or forcing it into a, the first read on a slant. And he just looked uncomfortable, impatient, and trying to force short to intermediate passes when the pocket was clean. There's multiple plays where the pocket's clean and he could have stood there for another two, three seconds. And somebody's going to break open on a post route or something deep down the field. So overall, not, I mean, by far and away, his worst game in a Husky uniform and mm -hmm. As far as things go offensively, I know we haven't talked about the offensive line yet, but in my opinion, Dylan Morris holds most of the blame on the offensive side of the ball, even including play calling. Like the play calling wasn't good, but the execution from your quarterback was putrid. That's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. It's, it's good analysis. And obviously you did your homework, Sam. So thank you for all of that insight. I have a little bit of a different take than you. And you mentioned that we hadn't talked about the offensive line yet. Um, I'm not going to sit here and defend Dylan Morris with the way that he played. You turn the ball over three times and it's going to be pretty tough to win a football game, even if it's against Montana, especially when you didn't cause any turnovers on your side of the ball, besides maybe a turnover on downs, I think. Yeah, but... we got one turnover on downs on like early in the game. Yeah. Um, that being said, we mentioned the size difference that we had along the offensive line against their defensive line, a team like Montana and FCS school. And I just can't get over the split between run and pass. And Dylan Morris's game is not designed to throw 46 balls in a game. Like he attempted yeah. 46 passes in a game against Montana. We had 20 three rushes that's really really bad that needs to be flipped and then you average if you take out dillis dylan morris's sacks we average 3.86 yards per carry it's not putrid not awful but you expect a lot better it's it's still unacceptable it's unacceptable against against like montana, montana yeah yes so suffice to say I think the split was off. So I think John Don is completely to blame for that. Agree. Um, and I think it all starts with how putrid the offensive line was. You have some decent grades here for the offensive linemen. And I think that most of that, most of what I'm saying, you would probably generally agree with outside of like one person, one or two, one or two people across the offensive line, specifically one spot. 
suffice to say though that it's one unit and as a yeah. unit they did not perform well right um at least not up to the standard that i mean we were talking about them being a top five top 10 offensive line in the country i don't yeah. even know how you can hold that conversation with a straight face at this point with the you way can't. that they performed on saturday correct can't. so that's where i'll start with that is just like i the running game itself was a massive failure and i think that that's a product of offensive line not executing the game plan or at least i mean if it even was a game plan bringing physicality in general like they should be dominating that defensive line jimmy like said it like they they were very and even hugh millen said on the radio today like montana did a great job of being multiple on defense they moved their defensive linemen around and they stunted a lot and they gave us problems all over the place our lack of adjustments is appalling to me on the offensive side of the ball when you have the talent and size disparity that we have at those two positions. So that falls on John Don right there. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think the two things that I look at, you know, again, people are calling for John Don's head. And I think the two things that you can't really argue against them feeling that way is one the play calling split is ridiculous. 46 passes against Montana. You can't be doing that. And then secondly, to your point is, you know, part of it's for sure on John Donovan, but also I'll Scott Huff needs to answer some questions. It's like, sure. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll explain really quickly for some of our listeners that are not as detailed into the sport of football as we are, what a stunt is. And so tip, when we were talking about how Montana moved their defensive line and defensive ends around, what we mean is after the snap, what are they doing? And so a stunt typically is going to have the defensive end and the defensive tackle switching positions. So the defensive tackle rushes to the outside and tries to bring the guard and the tackle and create a pile of three bodies. And the defensive end loops around back into the inside, into the hole that the defensive tackle just created. And so that's a, a hat is off. To, our hats are off to Montana. They did a great job of turning sure. into the game, acknowledging how undersized they were potentially have a quickness factor there and have to get creative to create pressure and disruption. And they did exactly that. And while I can tip my hat to Montana's defensive scheme for doing that so frequently and so effectively, on the flip side of that is they should be able to stunt all damn game and it shouldn't matter. No, it is like we went through spring and fall practice and our offensive line had never even seen a stunt in their life where right. the defensive end and defensive tackle play off of each other like that. Now I will say on the left side of the line, Jackson Kirkland and Julius Bulo handled those situations a lot better than the right side of the line. Kern and Bainavalu when he was in and Kalepo when he came in to fill in struggled with that movement a lot. And to your point, like I'll go down my list here. I think Kirkland, Wattenberg, and Kern in general played pretty solid. They didn't dominate the game like you would expect them to, but they didn't play poorly. They weren't having blown assignments. Left guard, Julius Bulow, it's his first college start, had some mistakes in there. Definitely needs to play better, and he didn't play well. The entire game, he needs some more consistency. Right guard, 
was the falling point of this offensive line. And to your point earlier, Connor, it's a unit. And this offensive line is only as good as the weakest link. Mm-hmm. And right now, right guard looks fucking awful. When Bainavalu was in, he was whiffing on stunts all day in pass protection, just trying to block air, block the wrong guy. When he, On running plays, when we would try to pull him across the line of scrimmage, he looked like he didn't even know where which gap he was going into, who he was supposed to block. And so when they go into like the running game, that's why I really kind of, you know, I don't put too much of the blame on Newton. A lot of the times when he's not getting those yards, he's got nowhere to go because Bainavalu just ran past two guys, didn't even try to block him, where he ran into Wattenberg's butt trying to go up the wrong gap. And so I just, Kirkland, Wattenberg, and Kern didn't play bad. They don't deserve a lot of the blame. I mean, maybe Kern does because that's a communication issue with the guy that you're playing next to, but that right guard spot was awful and it makes the whole offensive line unit look terrible. And again, you're only as good as your weakest link at that position group. And it was bad news all night. Yeah. I can't disagree with anything that you just said. Um, just going off of the, your point about obviously stunts and stuff and pass rush situations and their inability to handle that. You talked about, Morris having happy feet. And I think that was where all of his problems started is his, his footwork sucked because he didn't trust his protection the entire game, at least after the first drive, that first drive was about as crisp as you could plan it on it being right. Right. And then Montana makes an adjustment or two and UW does nothing. And you were right to call out Scott Huff, like the protection issues that, I mean, John Don has a lot to do with as far as like the play calling and X's and O's and stuff like that. But like, Pass protection issues like Scott Huff's got to be on his guys as far as like where the protections are, communicating the stunts that are happening. Luke Wattenberg deserves some blame there too for maybe not like communicating like yeah. how Montana is lining up too. So I mean, you have a pretty good grade for Luke Wattenberg here, but he. But ha- I'm only. He has I'm to only. Take some- yeah, I'm only grading sure. him on like how well did he block the guy he was assigned right. to? He did a great job. But, to but your is, he, point, is like he communicating that, right? Like, yeah, it's hard to know. Um, and obviously, I mean, Morris maybe plays a plays a factor there too. He, he needs to set up his protection. So ultimate failure across the board, obviously. Um, and I'll I'll be saying that over and over again, I think, in this in this particular episode of this podcast. But it was not good. It was not nearly good enough offensively. Yeah. And the fact that you scored on your first drive and then literally couldn't get past your opponents, like what 30 yard line, basically the rest of the game is ridiculous. Like that's, we talked about, okay. We talked about this team. You obviously talked about them going to like the college football playoff, possibly being in that conversation. Pretty embarrassing, huh? And Hey man, I was the one that said Ace of Turner is a good player. And I said that Julius Irvin is a pretty good player. (laughs) He didn't have a great game either. Um, Obviously, Justin and I talked about them being Pac-12 champs. Like Jimmy Lake has been hyping up this team saying like, we should be Pac-12 North champs now. Like this is like, we run the North. You can't even win a fucking game against Montana at home. Yeah. As embarrassed as I am to be able to like reflect on just a week ago, that I thought we would be 12 and 0 potential college football playoff. Like 
as embarrassing as that feels now after this loss, I really go back and reflect on how I felt in the moment. And it's like, we had every reason to believe that this was going to be a PAC 12 championship caliber team. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the returning talent from last year, no you actually have an off season to, you know, work the guys out, come into camp, better shape, you know, your offense Install your is installed playbook. playbook is, should yeah. be installed better. So like <clears throat> while I'm, you know, I can't believe I said that hindsight's 2020. If we rewinded last week, I would say the same damn thing. Sure. Ten There's no reason 10. to believe we thought that this was going to happen. Like it, that just goes to show how shocking it is. Correct. And I think that's why both of us, like, I think both of us agreed on Saturday. Like we were, we were both just in a shock state. We weren't even like pissed off. It was just like numb in disbelief. Yesterday, Sunday, I think was more of our kind of pissed off state. And now we've been able to process things for a couple of days and maybe obviously still pissed off. Like I'm, I'm so mad, but we have a little bit more of a rational take now. And um, we obviously waited a couple of days for to record this podcast. Most of that had to do with the fact that I was out of town, but I think we probably would have waited. We probably <laughs> would have waited until Monday anyway, just so that we actually had something insightful to say rather than just like fire everyone get games, a goddamn joke, you know, footballs in the tanker again, which I mean, they might be, but we don't know. Yeah. Um, it's one game. It is one game. So switching over to the defensive side of the ball, I don't think we need to like grade out like every person like you just did on offense, just because obviously the offensive side of the ball was way more to blame than the defensive side of the ball, but maybe let's go like position group by position group. How did you feel each position group kind of played and contributed maybe just maybe just uh, list out like a couple of blown assignments toward, especially towards the end, some of the drives towards the end of the game. But um, overall, I mean, honestly, a, a pretty solid day for the defense. I wouldn't say it's, it's, probably even up to their standard quite but it was it was definitely good enough to win on saturday oh yeah for sure i mean you hold a team to 13 points even i mean we all predicted montana was gonna score a touchdown i predicted 13 yeah so i think they did pretty much everything i'd expect them to obviously you know <clears throat> i guess we can go down the list defensive line played well they didn't dominate we didn't get a great pass rush, but mm-hmm. the few times we were getting after the quarterback, we drew holding penalties as well. So they kind of sure. like don't go in the stat sheet as a sack, but mm-hmm. some of those were inevitable. And, you know, you get the 10 yard penalty, it basically a, for all intents and purposes is a sack. So that wasn't quite as bad as the stat sheet will show you. Um, and also in terms of pass rush, that was the way that we called the game too. Like sure. we were rushing three, four guys hardly blitzed. And when we did, it was more of a run blitz in short yardage situations. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the defensive line from a pass pass rush perspective, you know, I would have loved to see someone stand out a little bit more and take over the game that didn't happen, but they played, they didn't play terrible. They played. Okay. Who had the one sack? Uh, was uh, McDonald. Yep. Your yeah, boy. It was a fantastic play too. Yep. He played, he played really, really well. He graded out the best on the defense along with Kyler Gordon for me. 
Um, McDonald had a couple of plays. I gave him a double plus play where they kind of caught us aligned incorrectly on an outside run to his side. And he was one V three against two tight ends and a tackle. And he held the edge, made that running back cut back inside and let gave our linebackers a chance to catch up in terms of them being misaligned at the snap. And I think they got maybe a yard or two, maybe three yards, but that is such a significant play from him to be able to take up all three of those blockers and turn that running back back inside. Just worth calling out with that play and his sack. I think, you know, some people were scratching their heads why he was listed as the starter. And I mean, he played really well. And so happy for him, happy to see that development because he's a young player that's going to be around for a while. Outside of that, I mean, Thule and Taki were kind of, neither of them really, did, you know, dominated like we hoped, but they didn't play terrible. The only other person that really flashed out for me along the defensive line was Kuo Pehopa, a true freshman. I think on his first snap, he got driven like 15 yards back and pancaked by two <laughs> Montana linemen. So welcome, welcome to college, to college football. football moment. But after that, he was really aggressive, strong and quick and disruptive on a couple of plays. He got a big time tackle for loss inside of our like five, six, seven yard line, which ended up holding them to a field goal later in the game. So that was a major play from a true freshman, which was great to see. So he'll, he has a, he has a role on this team for sure. Mm. Um, but again, in summary, I thought they all played admirably, but didn't really dominate the game. Like you would kind of want to see from that front unit in terms of size and talent, but Montana's offensive line is big, dude. Like that's they're they They're a big physical bunch. They're not a typical FCS offensive line. Um, they were more athletic than I think we gave them credit for to going yeah. into the game. So, yeah. So I thought our defensive line, played well the only other play i guess is jeremiah martin's almost interception <laughs> yeah he, i mean he was he was downfield man he was basically another corner on that play yeah so that was that was the that was the drop in the end zone right right before yeah. montana's first field goal on the on their first drive yeah it would have been nice to get that that turnover i think that could have been a little bit of a moment, momentum shifter um I, I think we mentioned that we didn't force a turnover and we had a couple opportunities that would have been nice to get a takeaway or two, but overall, yeah, I think defensive line played pretty well. And I think from a linebacker perspective is where, you know, we mm -hmm. didn't see the typical defense Husky defense that you like to see out of our linebackers. That was probably the weakest spot of our team yeah, for sure. Ula Foscio didn't have his best game. He didn't play bad. He didn't have any major mistakes. He got, blown out of the hole on their long run on their yeah. first drive. But it was also kind of a little bit of a cheap low block on him kind of came in on the side of his knee. So like, that's just, that's a tough play to make, but it was his responsibility. It was his gap. And other than that, he just didn't seem to have the impact that we've seen from him game to game. I think he only had a handful of tackles. I would have expected Five. him to be yeah. 10 plus in this game. Mm -hmm. Jackson Sermon had a pretty damn good game and mm -hmm. he led the team with tackles. I think he, what did he have? Nine, yep. I think. Um, and, and a half he, tackle for loss. Yeah. And he made a couple of plays that 
last year's Jackson Sermon wouldn't have made. So mm-hmm. I think there was some good progress there. One of the themes that I took out of this game and, and why the linebacker unit in general didn't live up to my expectations. Again, they didn't play bad enough to lose the game, but we were rotating our linebackers in really weird times. So down towards the end of the game, they had, you know, I guess it, yeah, it was right at the start of the fourth quarter. We're still winning seven to three and they sub Ulafosio out and put Tafisi in and there's a critical like third and 12 or third and 10 and Tafisi's in one-on-one coverage with the running back in the flat, the running back catches the ball and just, I mean, Tafisi loses his jock strap and they get a first down and that's on their touchdown drive. And Mm -hmm. so there's a couple of things like that, that happened. That's obviously the one that jumps out at you because it was so blatant and such a critical down and distance need to need to get off the field there. But I noticed we were subbing him in for both sermon and Ulafosio a lot. And so I didn't love that. We're not deep at the linebacker position. I get that, but you got to play your two best guys. Like when you're only up by four. Yeah, for sure. Not try to get tape on some younger guys. Like, I don't know. So that was win the game, win the game first and then worry about that stuff. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, those were the only three linebackers I saw that played defensive snaps. Mm -hmm. And there's just not the impact that you would like to see from them. Um, And then I think in the backfield was a little bit of a cluster as well. I mean, your mainstays played really well. Kyler Gordon was the other person that graded out the highest for me. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of DB blitzes, tackle for a loss on a fourth and two to get the turnover on downs was great. I didn't have him missing a tackle. Also on that long run in the first quarter where there was a break, Eddie got blocked out of the way. A couple of other DBs whiffed on tackles, including Trent McDuffie, Cam Fab, and Julius Irvin all missed tackles. Kyler Gordon busted his tail from the opposite side of the field took a good angle and had good speed to track that down and save a touchdown so gordon played really well buki had a couple of really solid plays also a couple of good run blitzes tackle for loss on a third and short situation and then outside of those three pretty rough games cam fab was not really anywhere to be seen he had a couple of good tackles he had a missed tackle like i mentioned but really i mean julius Irvin had a rough game asa turner had an awful game both of them came in on safety blitzes and missed wide open walk-in touch sacks that turned into positive plays for montana so talk mm-hmm. about momentum shifters you yep. turn you know that's a net difference of 20 25 yard play which should be a 10-yard sack ends up in a 10, 15-yard positive offensive play. And then Cam Williams continues to have tackling issues. And then Alex Cook didn't really play that much. So hopefully he'll be a wide receiver next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, overall, I mean, I wouldn't say it's anything to write home about. You would still probably expect expect this unit to play better than they – than they did yeah. on Saturday, but um, it was for sure it was good enough. It should have won the game if the yeah. offense wasn't so inept. 
Um, special teams. I mean, I think we have like a couple quick notes here. Um, I don't want to spend too much time, yeah, I think, on this I. on this on this unit, but um, I think overall, I mean, again, it was it was fine for the most part. Henry had the missed field goal, obviously. Um, but 50 yarder, it's a tough yeah, one. You'd love to sure. see him make it, but 50 yards in college is yeah, that's a coin toss. Yep, for sure. Um, Other than a couple of yeah, a couple of re- return coverage issues. Yeah. Um, but I think outside of that, for the most part, special teams is pretty solid. Yeah, I think to your point, like the one thing I would take away is the return game. You know, in a game like this where you're looking for a spark, whether that's a defensive turnover or you know get some momentum or energy going on a punt return or kick return, and we were just lacking, you know, McDuffie didn't have a chance to really make anything happen in the punt return game. Our kick returns were lackluster. All of them. I mean, all of them, we should have in hindsight, just taken a fair, fair catch and gone out to the 25 on. So I think we're just really mundane and predictable in our coverage in our, uh, what am I, the word I'm looking like coverage themes and and game Mm. plan there is just like very vanilla and the schemes. Yeah. You just, we don't have anything special there. I mean, we have talent, but every time McDuffie has somebody sitting there waiting for him, like, I don't know how, what our blocking scheme looks like. I need to dive into it a little bit more, but you want something a little more exotic. Yeah. I mean, give us a chance and whether it's exotic or player execution, I'm not totally sure yet, but you would have loved to have had special teams be a a catalyst for you in this game. And so in general, I kind of walk away with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, you know, missed field goal, didn't really create any option opportunities or energy or momentum. So it's just kind of there for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we know where the blame at least mostly goes, at least for this particular performance. But I think this brings up up the question that you were kind of alluding to earlier, Sam. And um, I guess I kind of gave my answer a little bit, but like, is this, is this a fireball game? Like you asked the question to me, like, should, should anyone be quote unquote fired or like, if not fired, like who's on the thinnest device of, of the coaching staff? Um, how much do you, do you put on them of, of this? You talked about player execution and the lack of it a lot in this game. And I think you're totally, those are totally valid points. Um, I think it was a catastrophic failure from top to bottom just overall, but how much do you put on the coaching staff? And if so, if, if it's a lot, like who's more to blame, who maybe should yeah be worried about their job who's in the hot seat yeah so i'll say this first i think i could have coached this game and the team with this talent should have still beat montana yeah. so like coaching isn't the reason why we lost this game it's definitely mm-hmm. part of it and i think definitely deserves a lot of scrutiny in terms of looking into the future of husky football and who should or should not still be here. And I just say that because I don't want to let the players off the hook with what I'm about to say, because they should be able to go out and play backyard bullshit football and beat Montana. Sure. And they didn't. With that being said, we shouldn't have to go out, play backyard bullshit football 
against Montana. Yeah. There should be a it fucking almost, plan. It almost seemed like that was the plan. <laughs> yeah, so there needs to be a plan, and this is where I will be critical of the coaches. We talked about energy. That lives and dies with Jimmy Lake, and he has a ton of responsibility here in terms of this individual game from an energy perspective and a motivation perspective where his blame lies in the grand scheme of the outlook of the season is his hire of John Donovan. Yep. And this isn't something that we totally talked about. And I think maybe it's because we are generally glass half full type Husky fans we talked but, a little bit about it, I think, in one of our first episodes yeah. going into last season That because we obviously didn't have the podcast going whenever the hire happened. Mm-hmm. But we did talk about him being the new OC and um, that there might have been some better options out there when yeah. he was hired. And so I think um, right now is a good time to just kind of like refresh that background sure. context if you want to go for it. Yeah, I mean, essentially what we were hoping for I think both you and I, Sam, was Kellen Moore to be hired as the OC. Yeah. Um, and his name was floated out there a lot. I have a hard time believing that they didn't at least have a very serious conversation with him about coming coming back to um, this side of this side of the country. Um, obviously, he's, he's with the Dallas Cowboys now, and he's he is their OC right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think ultimately it was probably just he. I'm sure the Cowboys are paying him a little bit better than UW would have. Um, and uh, it's an NFL job. So I think that was probably our first choice and you can kind of knock him off the list. Um, I know Tedford's name was floated around for a bit, maybe trying to get him out of retirement. Um, mm-hmm. If we were talking, there was someone internally too, that we talked about, I thought too, because Hamden was the one that was fired, but was there anyone else that was, I don't um, think so. Cause the only really. other, yeah. The only two internal that have had OC experience, I think Scott Cato. had a little bit. Yeah. Cato has like one year and junior Adams has like one year at really small yeah. school. So no, there was no, I don't think that there was an obvious internal choice. Sure. Um, but obviously the, the choice was John Donovan, uh, a name that most of us were not familiar with whenever he was hired. It was kind of one of those hires like, who? Who is that? Um, You start peeling back the layers. It's not like he doesn't have an impressive resume. He's definitely a proven play caller um, as far as experience wise, whether or not he's had that much success at the places that he's been is definitely a different conversation. Um, I think the most notable, and I know that I know for a fact that you brought this up on the podcast was his, his experience at Penn state Mm -hmm. and being the OC there. You look back at a lot of those threads too. Um, and especially the threads that came back once we hired him is that he's a very predictable play caller. Yeah. Um, and at least was back then went from Penn state and on to like some other jobs, including being like the running backs coach and run game coordinator, I think for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, so has some NFL experience as well. It's not, I don't think it's his experience that, that, any of us had a problem with it was it's it was the fact that maybe he didn't have the uh creative mind at at the offensive coordinator position that some of us were maybe looking for and 
his his schemes and his play calling tend to be kind of archaic. Um, and I think that we've we definitely saw that on full display on Saturday for one. Um, and uh, despite this. All of that, despite the disparity between uh, the run, the running snaps and the, yeah. and the passing snaps, it, it still was a pretty, I think, uh, vanilla is one way to put it. Vanilla implies that you're, you're actually beating your opponent, though. Um, lack of adjustments, I think, was, was the biggest alarming thing to me. Yeah, like the um, dead giveaway is the Montana defense was pinning their ears back and rushing upfield extremely aggressively for the run and the pass rush. And we called one running back screen, halfback screen yeah, all game. Yeah. And most That's... fans won't recognize that we ran it because Victor Kern and Henry Bynavalu to the right side of the field, they blocked like it was a pass block and Luke Wattenberg was out there by himself. Yeah. So like, I don't know how they didn't get the play call, but they did not go out to block a screen. And so my point there is like, that's a great way to neutralize the pass rush. For sure. And we called that once and we executed it like dog shit. Yeah. And so, I mean, going back to the background context too, like a lot of people were up in arms because the last time he was in college football, he got fired. Mm -hmm. And that Penn state offense was, you know, ranked, I think a hundred or something in the country and often they were terrible. Um. And so again, I think us with, you know, glass half full, like let's just trust Jimmy Lake that he's done his research. And sure. I think going back to my original point around the indirect blame that Jimmy Lake has, I mean, well, I guess you just call it direct. He hired the guy, yep. but not only did he hire someone that had a lot of skeptics wondering why you would choose that person. It wasn't like we didn't have any other options. We had a mm-hmm. blank checkbook to go hire an offensive coordinator. We because, think at least, yes. Well, we we know we're paying him 800 grand a year. It's true. He's one of the highest paid offensive coordinators in the conference. And we know that because when Lake took over for Peterson, for the salary pool of all the coaches, Lake is a million dollars per year cheaper than Peterson was. So you just mm-hmm. created a million dollars of extra budget to go hire somebody. And with that amount of resources, this is the guy that you come up with, like had us all kind of shaking our heads. And the reason why I'm providing all this context is because I'm done being the half glass, the half glass, half full kind of guy Mm -hmm. for John Donovan. I'm done Mm -hmm. with him back at the last three games. We've scored 10 points in the first half. Mm Mm-hmm. Utah, Stanford, Montana, we've scored 10 points in the first half. We come out of the gates lackluster. We don't make any adjustments. There's no creative play calling. There's no adjustment in play calling to, again, my point with Montana blitzing, where's the screen, where's the draw, what's going on? There's none of that. And so, yeah, going back to your original question, like, is this loss a fireable offense? Hell yeah, it is you're fucking you dub and you scored seven points on your first drive and never sniffed the end zone again against Montana. not even close to it yeah yeah that's fireable 110 percent. but here's the problem if you fire him then what yep no options out there right now you don't really have an obvious in-house guy that really is an x's and o's person 
like the only person that I think, and you mentioned him, Durham Cato is apparently a good X's and, o, X's and O's guy. Sure. So like you could, you know, hire him as an interim offensive coordinator, but then what message is that sending to all the longstanding Peterson guys like Keith Bonifa, Junior sure. Adams has been here for a couple of years. Scott Huff has been here for a couple of years. Are they really going to be excited to, you know, quote unquote, report to Durham Cato? Probably nope. not. So I think you're kind of stuck, but the people that the people's on thin ice, like John Donovan is going to get fired. It's just a matter of when, not if mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. hope UW moves quickly on it. And, you know, I would rather struggle this year with a interim internal offensive coordinator and start our search now, than wait until the end of the season and search with a limited pool of people left over. I think Scott Huff is on damn thin ice, in my opinion, and he gets a lot of blanket, you know, coddling because he's such a good recruiter and he is, right. he brings in a lot of good talent year in year out. Our offensive lines performance wise in the game has been underwhelming with Scott Huff ever since mm -hmm. he took over for Chris Strausser, who was the opposite, couldn't recruit worth the damn but could coach the hell out of the guys that he had. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the offensive lines we've had player-wise and talent-wise. We've had Trey Adams, Nick Harris, Caleb McGarry. We've got Jackson Kirkland, Luke Wattenberg. Henry Bainavalu is an incredible talent, apparently. And mm -hmm. it's like, we haven't really seen a dominating offensive line performance in Scott Huff's tenure. Right. Maybe against Arizona last year. Sure. So I think... His ass is on thin ice, in my opinion. And then I want to say Junior Adams, but like, is it really his fault that your top six receivers from last year are gone? Yeah. Probably not, but he's also been underwhelming to me. Especially on the recruiting front, yeah. Yeah, I think Keith Bonifa is safe. He's a damn good running backs coach. He recruits well. He's probably safe. Mm -hmm. And then, like, Jimmy Lake, like, this isn't a fireable offense to me, losing to Montana on its own. Right. But if this is any indication to where the season's going to go yeah. and he's made these bad administrative decisions like hiring John Donovan, it might not be this year, but it could be. Oh, it could be. Oh, it definitely could be. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What are your, I know you kind of like touched on your thoughts, but where do you stand on it all? Um, I don't think you can really fire anyone right now mostly because of the context that you gave. Um, I just don't know what the options are that are alter, alter, alternate to that. Like yeah. alternative options are very minimal right now. At this point of the season, it's really hard to fire and hire after one game of college football. Um, so I think you pretty much have to ride this out at least, um, at least for the next several games and maybe see where you're at middle of the season. If you're Oh, and six or some shit, then yeah, everyone's getting fired at that point. Cause the season's lost. Yeah. But um, after one game, I don't think you can do anything. It's, I think I agree with you. It's a fireable offense, but I just don't think that they have good enough options to, to do that. So that's a little bit wh where I'm at. I, I want to, I want to turn, turn the conversation a little bit though and, and looking forward and like what what do you need to see from this team like I guess 
give the context of where you're at as a fan right now. Like, where are you at, at on, on this season? Assuming that it's an obviously not as good of a place as you were going into the season. Yeah, I think that's obvious. What, what do you need to see for that mojo to come back for you as a fan? Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's my general question. And I might have a follow-up based on your answer. So, yeah, as a fan, I'm probably as disappointed as I've been in over 10 years going back to 2008. I mean, absolutely just in the worst place I've been as a fan since then. I mean, even in some of those early years of Sarkeesian up and downs, like having the context and the still open wounds of the 0-12 season, like going five and seven and having some competitive games with Jake Locker at quarterback was great and fun and exciting. This is the worst I have felt since we lost that apple cup in 2008 for sure. So I'm in a pretty dark place as a fan Um, to answer your question about what I need to see to like get me out of it. Really anything less than beating Michigan isn't going to do a lot because I don't know how good Michigan is. Mm -hmm. I know that they played well this weekend. They took care of business against a lesser opponent the way that we should have. Yep. Um, But I've seen some people, you know, pondering the same question online. And, you know, obviously if we get blown out, you just feel just stack it on top of last week and feel even worse. If we lose a tightly contested game, does that make you feel better? Not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's some plays and some improvements in the minutia of the game. That's like, okay, maybe it's not as much of a disaster as I thought. And like, we'll sure. win a handful of conference games. Whereas if we get blown out, like, I don't know that you can think that we're going to win a game. Yeah. We probably flip the script where we're favored going into every game. Now we're going to be underdogs going into every game if we get blown mm-hmm. out. So outside of winning and doing it in a fairly dominant way, or even just winning a close game will bring me back in for sure. And I think, I don't know if it was Tony Castricone, the, the announcer at Husky stadium. Yeah, he has some really good tweets today. Yeah. He basically tweeted, you know, the, for the president, uh, the precedent set for FCS teams beating ranked top 25 FBS schools, which is what happened this weekend. Mm-hmm those FBS schools in almost every scenario bounced back to end the season on a win streak. And a lot of them played in pretty prominent bowl games, a couple of new year six bowl games. So the precedent would have you thinking that we're going to regain control of the season, but damn, man, I'm in a bad place as a fan and outside of our defense, I don't really have a lot to look forward to this season Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it'll take a, you know, a 180 type performance against a much better opponent in the most hostile environment the Huskies have played in in years. There's going to be 110,000 fans at the big house in Ann Arbor, and I just don't see it happening. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to after after what we saw on Saturday. Um. I'm I'm in a pretty dark place too. I mean, I mentioned that this rivals 0 and 12. So about as 
about as low as you can be just especially just it's just so out of nowhere like the context given of of what this and the hype that was coming into this season yeah and then for that type of showing i mean return of college football like right for husky husky stadium being back open again like this was supposed to be such a celebration and for there to be no energy on that team leads me to believe that there is a pretty prominent cultural problem within the UW locker room and the UW organization as as it comes to football. And you can't really be positive if, if that's the case. Um, We don't know. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that I know what, what the scoop is on the inside of the program or anything like that, but there are signs that this thing could be coming toppling down in, in a big way. I really hope that's not the case. I mean, all these UW players are tweeting, you know, adversity statements and stuff today. And yeah. So, and end of yesterday and today, I guess. So like, I mean, the only thing that gives me any kind of hope, Sam, is the fact that we still have the same talent that we all hyped up going into the season Yep. Like there's for sure talent up and down this roster. This is the best roster I think that we've had from a talent perspective since 2016. You talked about it. I still believe that. Yeah. I don't know what we look like. It It's more than talent that wins football games, right? Like it, it's coaching, it's execution, camaraderie. It's, it's camaraderie, it's energy, it's, you know, playmaking ability. So there's more to it than just talent alone. At the same time, I've I've seen the players that struggled so much on Saturday perform well before. Yeah. So I can't like I can't just like knock them completely from my memory bank at this point. <laughs> um. So I, Dylan Morris is like it's not like he's ever been like the best quarterback ever or anything like that, but we've seen him come up with big throws and big games. And I think given a proper game plan and a proper running game, like I think he should perform fine in ball games. Based on last year, I would agree with you, but what I saw out of him absolutely specifically absolutely. as an individual this past weekend is just, I mean, I, I agree with so the Sam. Point. I agree with the point that you're making. I just, can't emphasize enough how bad he played he was awful he was awful we've talked about russell wilson having awful games though too not like this dude (laughs) no way you sure i don't think so i mean if they don't end up coming back and winning that nfc championship against the packers that performance is just about as bad as this one how'd they win the game sure i'm just saying like up to that point yeah, it was that bad. Yeah, he was, I mean, he, he had was pretty what, damn bad against the Rams this last year too in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah I just all I I'm saying know. is that great players have bad games. Yes, that definitely happens for sure, and I hope that it was Aaron Rodgers really... threw like four four picks or something like that, like last year, or the year before, in in a game against the Bucks. Yeah, it can happen. I think. Uh... I just can't believe how rattled and lack of in command of the offense he yep. was 
based on what we saw from him last year and what all reports out of practice indicated. And well, so, and the context that we're bring we're playing Montana, which you don't yeah. do that in the NFL. Like, there's no Montanas in the NFL. Yeah, so it's just hard for me to see. Him I get it. Coming back from that, I'm not going to defend that he had a good game or anything like that. Like, I'm not going to. De- I've all no, I've I said. I know we just that, want we want him to be better. Well, and I. And he's. I been guess better. my 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 follow up question, Sam, was going to be: Do you have a do you have a better option? at quarterback on this roster right now, right now, than Dylan Morris. You don't know. We don't know. I think so. You think that Sam Heward would go into the big house and perform better than Dylan Morris on Saturday? Based on how Dylan Morris – I don't think that's the question I'd be asking because I think Sam Heward is going to lay an egg if he goes in starting into the big house, like you said. Correct. That's what I'm saying, though. That's my question. My question is going if that's into this your week, question, is, is there any kind of con- quarterback controversy right now? Well, there damn near there needs to be. Jimmy says there's not. Jimmy's full of shit. You said it yourself. <laughs> Used car salesman. <laughs> there needs to be. You can't play like that and expect there not to be some sort of internal conversation, even if it's just in Jimmy Lake's head. I mean, obviously he has all the information. We don't. I think the really pertinent question that we can answer is in the third and fourth quarter, does Sam Heward give you a better chance to win the game against Montana? Hell yeah. Probably. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how he would respond in that situation. Like you said, we don't know. Like we haven't we seen Sam Heward play in a in a live in a live game. In practice, he dude, he had just some of the same happy feet that you saw Dylan Morris have. Yeah, and but he I, also I has... think there's reason to believe that he would he would have that in his first college snaps. Yeah, I think he would too. But I also know that whether it was via freshman naivety or not, or on purpose he would be pushing the ball down the field and let your playmakers try to make a play. Sure. Morris did none of that. So again, I'm not saying it would be because Heward is way better, but I think Heward would come in and partially out of naivety, be like, hell yeah. Like this guy's on one-on-one coverage. Let me just throw it up. He's got a way prettier ball. He has a lot better touch where Morris struggled multiple times where on some of those intermediate routes where you have to get it over the linebacker, but drop it in in front of the safety Morris throws line drives, man. Like there were a handful of passes, exactly what I just described that should be completed to an open receiver in that pocket. And he can't drop it in and he bullets it over everybody's head and out of bounds or straight to the linebackers face and ends the game with an interception. And Heward has the ability to make those throws. But again, to my point, I think you have to, and again, like they don't have, I mean, yeah, I guess they do. Like they're able to review plays and do analysis at halftime. Like you see your quarterback struggling that much. And again, I get it's coach speak. Like it never crossed my mind to bring another quarterback in. That's bullshit. You saw Peterson bring Browning or take Browning out against Cal to bring in Jake Hayner. Obviously that went the wrong way (laughs) and Hayner (laughs) loses the game, but like 
at some point in time, you have to make that call. Mm -hmm. And I hate hearing that. Like it was not even part of our mind. And I, I get it. Like you have to stick with your guy through thick and thin until he's not your guy. Yeah. But well, and given like the leadership, like role that Morris has on this team too, as the play caller right now. Sure. And maybe that was the, maybe that was the lack of energy. Maybe, I mean, Morris is to blame there too, right? Hell yeah. But we know from a, like for a fact that the locker room respects Dylan Morris, like a lot. Yeah. From last year. Correct. So just suddenly benching him, I think is a pretty, pretty bad look um, on what the team can can look up to and trust in a leader at that point. So it, I understand your point, Sam. I, I just, I think that's a really tough decision for a, a, a head coach to make, especially in a one, one score game when it's like, all you need is one drive. No, I get it. I'm not saying that that's what we should have done. Sure. But if we're having the conversation about, you're absolutely right that what we're there's no there's no doubt that like the question had to have been asked in at least yeah. in Jimmy's mind if not even to like John Donovan at some point like should we give Hewitt a series or something like that yeah so, and so maybe yeah. you practice this week and get Hewitt prepared like if Morris Morris is going to be our guy if we go through the first half with the same shit different yeah. day quick leash Hewitt's the guy coming out of halftime. But I, I yeah. get your point. Like, that's a tough spot to put a true freshman if he hasn't been working with the game plan all week. Yeah. Like, I, I get that. But, like, shit needs to change and change fast. And if that's people losing jobs, whether it's offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, starting quarterback, starting left guard, right guard, like, you need to light some fire under these guys' asses, coaches yeah. and players alike. I think that's the that was the biggest takeaway that I took from Jimmy's press conference after the game on Saturday. It wasn't fiery. It was yeah. very resigned. It was um, not even like ho hum feel sorry for me, but like it was just I can't I can't get like he just seems so disengaged from what happened on the football field. Yeah, and his his press conference today was better. Like at least from the quotes that I'm looking at, I didn't watch it, but like he had better answers for sure. Yeah, but he could have totally been. I mean, I'm pretty sure PR got in his ear. Like, <laughs> like fans are pissed, dude. Like you need to act at least like you're yeah. pissed and recognize that that fans are doubting the entire program right now. Like that they think this thing might be in shambles. Um. So it, it all starts up top for me and Jimmy has yet to prove that, um, that he could be the right head coach at this point in his tenure. We're only five games into this thing, but it's going to, I think it's going to take more than just a win on Saturday for me, going back to my original question for me, for me to, for me to really buy into this team again this year. Like I'm look, yeah, Both sorry, I, are, I, I are... misunderstood your question. I thought you were asking what I need to see this Saturday to feel better about no. like the game. If you're Just talking from about the team in general this season, yeah, this team needs to be competing for the Pac-12 North. Anything less than that, to me as a fan, is a failure. Mm-hmm. 
Like and we're not the, even that's, in that That's the expectation that Jimmy Lake set himself, right? He has gone yeah. on record and said that. Um, yeah, and the, I mean, the talent alone that we've described and hyped up going into this season would suggest that as well. But yeah, it's, it's going to, I mean, I'll be intrigued if they pull off a miracle and beat Michigan and Ann Arbor. I, maybe I shouldn't call it a miracle, but like against a lot of odds at this point. Yeah. I think it's fair to say. So given all this, Sam, unless you have anything else to touch on with this topic, let's just let's put in some general predictions for this Michigan game. I don't think we should deep dive into this at all. I I think until this team shows us something. We we like we need to see something for them to earn a little bit more more analysis on our airwaves going into games as far as game previews. Yeah, post game review stuff, but like, I'm not going to be looking forward to the next game until <laughs> I see something from this, from this, from this, from this team. Both literally and figuratively, not looking correct. forward to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, going into Michigan, like we said, it's going to be a real hostile environment. I mean, mm-hmm. that place is going to be loud and packed. Dylan They're- Morris's first road start, too. Yeah. So even we've talked obviously about Sam's inexperience, like Dylan's just as experienced on the road as Sam is. So first game coming back, you know, off of a week, week of a loss, mm-hmm. like after we Adversity. lost. This, yeah. So there's going to be, we're going to learn a lot this week. And yep. unfortunately I think you're going to see a lot of the same. Michigan, their defense has the Montana tape. They can just replicate yeah, the same thing with, you know, exponentially better athletes. So I imagine that they're going to run a lot of DT, DE stunts, a lot of movement up front. Offensive line is going to have a hard time. Their hands are going to be full. I think you're even going to see your best players on the line, like Kirkland and Wattenberg, are going to struggle more in their one on one battles just a better one-on-one opponent that they'll be facing. So I think you're going to see some missed assignments on the offensive line. I don't think you're going to see us establish the run game. If only because we're sure as hell not going to establish any sort of passing game. Donovan's not going to be able to put anything creative together. I doubt we haven't seen it. And we're going to be down to four scholarship wide receivers on the road in that environment. I don't think that they're going to play particularly well. And even if Morris does play, you know, 50% better, it's still not going to be good enough to put up more than 14 points. I don't think. And if our passing game isn't going, we're not going to be able to run the ball. If Michigan stacks the box with eight, there's no way. So offensively, I don't see us scoring more than two touchdowns. I don't. I think defensively, I think we can play with them. I think it'll be a low-scoring game that we're probably going to lose. And if our offense doesn't get going, expect to see Michigan to pull away in the second half because our defense is fatigued and tired. They've been on the field all game. That's how I think it's going to go. I think we'll probably have a successful first drive with scripted plays hopefully score a touchdown. And then I think our defense will keep it close for two to three ish quarters and Michigan's going to run away towards the end of the game. 
I don't know how it's going to go any different than that. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Do you have a score? Oh shit, man. It could get, if we're going to win, we're going to win like 17 to 14. You're not predicting us to win though. What's the score? No. Oh man. I don't even want to say, I don't even want to say it. I think it could be. Just say it, dude. Oh, let's see. 20 24 to 10 and that's still being a little bit of purple lensed glasses if you can believe <laughs> potentially it. yeah potentially yeah it could get ugly um i think the players respond a bit this week uh I think it's a. I think it's. I think it's close in the first half. I think the yeah. defense keeps them in it, like you said. I think it's probably a one-score game at halftime. Yeah. And then, like you said, defense is on the field probably too much, and it starts to get out of hand. And I think we probably lose. It's probably like it, I'm going to assume it's probably like a fourteen to ten game at halftime or something like that maybe 13 to 10, depending on if you think they're going to score two touchdowns or maybe a touchdown and a couple field goals. And then I think, yeah, I think it gets a little bit ugly after that. And we end up, I don't think we score a point in the second half. I think it's like a 31 to 10 type of game. Um, yeah. So similar to you, but I think that there might be another late touchdown kind of, kind of in the game. Obviously I'm hoping for different. Like I, yeah. I hope that we see something from these guys and they have, about as big of a chip on their shoulder as they're going to have probably in their playing careers going into this game in Michigan. And if you're of the, the mind of, you know, we got them right where we want them type thing, then live in that corner. <laughs> you can and have some confidence and, you know, maybe, maybe we're somehow overlooked now uh, by Michigan because of the loss to Montana. But I don't think that you can, you can't sugarcoat anything that just happened on Saturday. And I don't know. I don't know how you can feel good about this game going into Ann Arbor against maybe not the best team, like Michigan team that we've seen over the past 15 to 20 years, uh, probably towards the bottom of, yeah. of, of, of those teams, but still a very capable team, much more talented than Montana. Oh um, Yeah. <laughs> and it could be a pretty rude awakening for for this team if they if they don't get their shit together. All right. I feel like there was something else that I wanted to touch on before. I think there's just like this general urge and sense to be more positive. Yeah. And I just can't from both do of it. us for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just can't. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. We just it's don't like, know how deep rooted this problem is, dude. Like I think that's what worries me. We're, re we're reading all of the worst things, obviously, on the message boards that we're reading. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of people on those boards that are plugged in more than we are. And and there's a lot of smoke right now. And it was smoke going into the season, too, with all the recruiting woes, too. So, like, yeah. what is wrong culturally with the UW program? I think that I failed to mention, obviously, it, and give that context whenever I brought that up earlier in this episode, just like all the recruiting woes this offseason as much hype as there was going into this season, like from a recruiting standpoint, it's been dog shit. And like 
there's smoke there. We didn't know what it was, but like, obviously this, this could be a catastrophic type of issue with a program that, you know, leads us into that same kind of era of the he who should, shall not be named has the potential to be that. I don't think that it'll get that far. Hopefully we don't it let could. it. If it's trending that way, I hope that we've learned from our mistakes. And this is another conversation for another day later in the season, if it gets sure. to this point, but that's where you hope that the university as a whole learns from its mistakes. And unfortunately, history shows that the university of Washington is not quick to address no. these issues. And I don't see Jen Cohen being the type of athletic director no. to make these she hasn't been quick so decisions. Far. And she hasn't been so far. So we can have that discussion for another day, but hopefully we don't get to that point and we can write the yep. ship, but there's not a lot to indicate that that's going to happen at this point in time. I remember what I was going to bring up. The only other thing that gives me a little bit of hope this year is the pack that is is the fact that the Pac-12 North completely shit the bed all over the place this entire yeah. first weekend of college football. So the only team to win out of the Pac-12 North was Oregon, and it was in very unimpressive fashion against Fresno State. So um, for sure, for sure, UW had the worst moment of yeah. any of the Pac-12 North teams, but no one had particularly no one had a particularly good week when it comes to the Pac-12 North, Pac-12 in general, but Pac-12 yeah. North specifically. I mean, we really look like the Mountain West, worse than the Mountain West. I mean, yeah. What, Oregon State lost to Purdue, Wazoo lost to Utah State. Who lost to Nevada? Cal. Cal lost to Nevada. Stanford we lost, lost to Montana. To... Stanford lost to... It was Kansas like, State. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I was going to say it was like a decent-sized Big 12. Oregon barely remember. beat Fresno State. Yep. USC barely beat San Jose State. I mean, not barely, but that game wasn't as It was much closer as... than it should have been, yeah. Yes. But, I mean, that's coming from <laughs> a fan base that just lost yeah. to Montana. So, it, it, there's no really good way to spin it. I'm just saying that, like, we weren't the only ones to struggle mightily this first weekend. I think we probably struggled the most, <laughs> but yeah. we weren't the only ones to struggle. Yeah, but so, to, your, to your point, like the positive takeaway is, yeah, we lost to Montana. And yeah. that's like... It's one game. Unfathomably, that is a nightmare that nobody would have ever even dreamed. Mm -hmm. And... With that being the case, even if we lost to Michigan and even if we lost to Arkansas State, like if we're really in in it to win the Pac-12, like none of that shit matters. At this point, no. I mean, it gives you indications on where you should align your expectations, but you could still right. win the Pac-12. It's and an out-of-conference loss. Right. Maybe we go on one of these runs that we've seen a Michigan go on or an Ohio yeah. state go on after they've lost to FCS schools. So hope so st still, yeah, still, uh, I'm not tuned out of this season, like for any, for any, you know, for what that's worth. I'm not, I'm not going to like just quit on this team. I'm not believing <laughs> that they're going to achieve anything at this point, but I'm going to watch and tune into the games. Yeah, um, I'm with you and, on that. Yeah. The one the one thing I will say is for my own health, I am 
less disappointed that I will be unable to watch the Michigan game. I'll be deep in the Northeastern Washington woods elk hunting. We'll we'll be switching places. And uh, I'm kind of glad I I maybe won't be watching the game. (laughs) Yeah, it could get really ugly, dude. It could get really ugly. But if we win, you'll have about anywhere from like 10 to 100 missed text messages and probably a couple missed calls from me sounds good i'll drive up to the top of a mountain and get service and most 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 of that realms from like what kind of drunken state i'm in because i'm supposed to be at a bachelor party this next weekend so if i'm very very drunk and (laughs) not able to send a text then it'll probably just be the first 10 messages that i can send out will be to you but if i'm in an okay state i would for sure be sending a lot of text and a lot of reaction twitter twitter uh phrases and stuff like that too twitter quotes yeah so hopefully i'll be popping in and out of service we'll be driving around bugling trying to get elk to talk back to us at night so i'll probably pop in and out of service and track the Mm -hmm. game a little bit but Mm -hmm. yeah i probably won't get to watch it until later in the next week might be a good thing might be a good thing that's how i feel right now about the montana game so i was able to track basically the entire game on my phone but i was not watching and i'm kind of glad that i didn't all right man well that was a little therapeutic i don't know i don't know if i feel much better but like at least it was it was good to share our thoughts and vent a bit on the airwaves and to our listeners hopefully hopefully um hopefully we get some feedback from the this episode i want to hear what some of the some of the other some of our listeners and other husky fans in general are thinking right yeah. now and maybe you're not a husky fan if god forbid you're an Oregon or a wazoo fan tuning into our podcast but yeah. if you are leave us a shitty message we'll probably we probably won't play it but we'll listen to it if you want to talk shit it's fully deserved at this point so um but i don't know man <laughs> i don't know where we go from here so i I'm interested to see what happens on Saturday though. Yeah. I don't really have much else to add. I feel like I threw up everything everything that I thought and felt I threw up and threw out onto this podcast episode. And I feel like I got the closure that I need to like move on from it and not forget it, but I'm, I've, there's a lot of season and, left and talked about it and I'm ready to just go on yeah. to the next game and we got to flush it. Hopefully it'll be better. Yeah. We got to flush it. Like you said, yeah, we're not going to really forget this. I don't think um, ever, but um, we can flush it and try to move on with this season. At least still everything to play for basically out there outside of the college football, football playoff, which obviously is just not, not even remotely in the conversation at this point, but Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. Please, if you have any any venting to do, leave it on our airwaves. Um, at the very least, we'll be entertained by it and we'll grieve with you. So <laughs> happy, to, happy to go through this therapy process uh, with our listeners. Until next time go dogs question mark (laughs) (laughs) see you later folks pretty much pretty much